This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Your end, great week for you. Uh, and thank you for joining us here on the Hill. Uh, there is breaking news this afternoon out of the State Department, of course. The government announcing two American hostages have been released by Hamas. We will have the latest on their status. Plus a $106 billion security package proposed by the president. What it calls for and why a small proportion would only head to the southern border. Also tonight, if at first you don't succeed, you can try and try and try again. But for House Republicans, that hasn't amounted to anything. A closed door secret ballot meeting this afternoon. We'll try to figure out exactly what comes next for Republicans in this town. And the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, told me something last night about what he thinks should happen in the Republican race his opponents, and how long they should stay in the race. We'll show you some of that conversation later in the show. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. and thank you for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by a great panel, Chris Steyerwald. Of course, is News Nation's political editor and a, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Accurate. Accurate? Accurate. I got it. Bob exactly. Cusack. Uh, I've heard he's the editor-in-chief of the thing called The Hill. <laughs> Ford O'Connell, a former uh, surrogate of the Trump White House. And Laura Fink is a Democratic strategist joining us remotely throughout the show. Hello to you all. We begin, of course, uh, with this great news announced just a little while ago. Two uh, American hostages that were held by Hamas in the Gaza Strip, now back in Israel, going to be uh, heading over to the U.S. Embassy, we believe, at some point. We heard from the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, moments ago. I want to thank the government of Qatar for their very important assistance. But there are still 10 additional Americans who remain unaccounted for uh, in this conflict. We know that some of them are being held hostage by Hamas, along with an estimated 200 other hostages uh, held in Gaza. All right, so Chris, we, th this is obviously a huge and welcome uh, scenario for these individuals, of course, uh, for the United States, and as we try to get more hostages out. I mean, just think about where we've been over the last less than 24 hours. A huge primetime address, mm -hmm. uh, the announcement of this package, and then the president and his administration able to announce today uh, that these hostages, at least two of them, are, are back safe and sound. The projection of American strength in this region, and the and I, I frankly was surprised by the the depth and enthusiasm of support that Biden expressed for Israel in this moment, uh, despite some divisions within his own party, uh, and the return of these hostages is proof of concept that the United States putting two aircraft carrier groups off the coast, hmm. taking a hard line, talking about more resources, has gotten the attention of Hamas. Listen, I mean, I, I think, uh, and polls have shown, early polls have shown that people do like how Biden is handling this. They don't like how he's handling a lot of things. But this, I thought his speech was very good. I thought it was very important for him to say uh, Israel was not behind the hospital bombing. 
uh, overall, I, I think, did well. And obviously couldn't lean into the hostages in last night's address because right. you've got to play the diplomacy game. Mm-hmm. You ready to give Joe Biden some credit for it? No, I'm not. Come on. I, honestly, <laughs> There's two hostages that were... Come on. I, I think you can't whenever say that. Americans come home, it's a great day. Okay, that is fantastic okay. that that's occurring. What I'm concerned about was I thought his speech last night was adequate. And frankly, I don't think he's being clear-eyed about this Israeli-Hamas conflict, how long it's going to take, and what a tinderbox his policies have led to in terms of what goes forward over the next several months. Because trust me, this is going to be several months. And not only could it be a two-front war, right. it could be a three-front war. We're going to get there in a second. Laura, uh, come on in. Um, welcome news today, and thanks for joining us. It's really a joyful day for those families uh, of the hostages that were released and certainly a difficult situation for any president with President Biden leveraging his experience in foreign policy and power and power dynamics and able to really navigate a tricky situation with the Palestinians needing aid and with Israel needing to exercise its right to defend itself. So I think you see uh, Biden's wisdom and talent coming to the fore and the world coalescing behind him thus far. But it's hard to underestimate how significant and how challenging this situation is in the world of geopolitics. All right. Well, the ongoing wars in the Middle East and Ukraine are prompting President Biden to make an unprecedented request for aid. He is now asking Congress for $106 billion in emergency funding. $61 billion would go to Ukraine, $14 billion to Israel, another $14 billion for border security. You can see uh, on down the line there where the remainder goes. It, it, it raises the question now, Bob, are we looking at President Biden, who had staked his campaign going forward on Bidenomics, and yep. we know the polling isn't good there. No. Terrible, I think would be a fair way to put it. Yep. Um, is he now a wartime president, and does that change the dynamic going forward? Uh, possibly. I mean, it depends on where it goes from here. Now, and it's very important that he's what he's asked for and the breakdown that you just showed. But he's not, Congress is not going to give him 106 billion dollars. I, I tell you that right now. A lot of Republicans saying that request is dead on arrival. But is he a wartime president? Listen, um, Biden was in support of the Iraq War as as the top Democrat on the uh, Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He he's one of the, he's he's a hawk, and we're seeing it right now. He was a. a- you mentioned the Iraq war. There was also the criticisms, of, of course, of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. He made the argument against SEAL Team 6 uh, going in when he was advising President Obama. You look at the polling here, Laura. Uh, the president's handling of the, of the Israel-Hamas war. Independence. Let's focus on that middle co- uh, column. 61% right now, Laura, are saying he, the commander-in-chief's not doing a good job. Well, I I think that that's something to contend with, but certainly not something to drive decision making. I think that the clearly the commander in chief role is one that has to be independent of polls. This is a really fragile situation and a tinderbox in the Middle East. And as he works to secure diplomacy with Arab nations that surround Israel, with countries that are our traditional allies and, and really navigate these forces and seek for the U.S., and our leverage and our strength to be a force for good, those poll numbers have to be set aside while he's doing the job of our country and the American people. Yeah, look, I unfortunately, I've got to disagree with that, okay? When you look at independence right now, in any pretty much any poll, Donald Trump is leading Joe Biden when it comes to foreign policy. And why? Because you didn't have these wars under Donald Trump. The world was not a tinderbox. And I think that a lot of people don't understand why the world is so unstable. And Republicans would argue that essentially it's Joe Biden's policies. And therefore, this idea that the guy whose policies led to the world being on fire is somehow and stumbles up the stairs to Air Force One is somehow going to be the person 
that actually saves the day, I promise you independents are far more concerned about Look, inflation and his ability and agility to serve. Laura, are you career. comfortable with him being a wartime president? Certainly. And I think that uh, I don't want to underestimate the voters and say that they're not sophisticated enough to understand what a challenging situation that our world is in and how disunity is contributing to that. And, uh, you know, obviously the economy and other it'll be a multifaceted campaign uh, full of issues as broad as reproductive rights all the way to inflation, to the challenges that we see internationally. But I give credit to the voters. Voters are sophisticated. They take information as it comes and they process their opinions over time. I think that the Biden is a wartime president, whether he likes it or not. It, it, it begs the uh, Thomas Paine quote, the times have found us. The times have found President Biden, so, and he's now able to lead the country, leveraging his experience and his empathy and I in a show, world fragile. I, I, yeah, no, I want to show the breakdown of the money again, because I, when I saw the figures this morning, um, 61 billion for Ukraine, 14 billion for Israel, 14 billion for border security. I wondered, did, did there need to be a war in the Middle East to break uh. out to, to, for border security to be linked to it? Like, this has been a huge problem, and now the president's addressing it? I know why he's got to link all this stuff together because that's what Washington does and what Washington does best. But when you look at the figures there, yeah, there's going to be some some trouble here in Washington, is there not? With that, well, you know, you uh, you reference the folks in uh, the Republicans who say that it's dead on arrival. They don't have a Speaker of the House, right? <laughs> they're, 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 right. This this is a, 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 a as, uh, as as the as the man said in the movie, that's mighty big talk for a one eyed fat man. <laughs> uh, I I don't I don't see it. Uh, and what I do see is that you put Ukraine and Israel together because you want to force the Republicans on Ukraine and you want to force the Democrats on Israel. You throw in the sweetener on border security so that Republican members can go back to their districts and say, this also included $14 billion for border security. You're throwing all of this stuff in. And it's not like they're going to start to decide that deficits matter today. Uh, I don't know that he'll get all of that through, but He's going to get a lot he, of it through. He's going to have a big-time problem. Look, if you ask the Republicans on the Israeli funding, that's going to go through 100% on the Republican side. Obviously, only 40% of Republicans are going to vote for the Ukrainian funding. Here's the issue. was the $10 billion he asked for in humanitarian funding. And if that goes to Gaza, that's going to be a no-go no for Republicans. Because when you fund Gaza, you're funding Hamas. They're inseparable. And political Islam is what is driving this crisis. And frankly, when it comes to the border, Blake, i got to disagree with you. Because it all depends on how they push it out. If he's talking about resettling Palestinian refugees in America, given what he's done at the border, or resettling refugees from other parts of the world and just processing people and not putting up barriers, that's not going to work either. Democrats have been lying about the word border security for almost a decade now. You mentioned uh, the word issue, something that Chris hit on. You guys got an issue in your party right now. Chaos continues to rule House Republicans. Don't take it from us. That, that's not what we're necessarily saying. Here's Speaker Kevin McCarthy. I've never seen this amount of damage done to just a few people for their own personalities, for their own fear of what's going through. And really, um, it's astonishing to me. And um, we are in a very bad position. So after booting McCarthy from the speakership and then not electing his right hand, Congressman Steve Scalise, today the Congressman Jim Jordan failed again to garner enough support. And now uh, his way forward really is sort of unsettled. Essentially, he's, he's out. Republicans don't have a plan D. Mm -hmm. Here's just two examples 
to show you where things are right now. Congresswoman Nancy Mace, she posted this on X, showing how one of her colleagues, another Republican, blocked her on that platform. And then on the House floor earlier today, Congressman Greg Stubbe, here he was, uh, or here's, here's the material, caught with the proposal to oust the temporary speaker, a member of his own party. Bob? <laughs> I mean, where do we go from here? I, I don't mean, know. I, That's I why mean, I turn to you. I, I, listen, I, I think it's, I think they've got a think outside the box maybe they, they they're think way about, outside the box right? <laughs> well, way maybe a former member obviously it's got to be a republican only solution the McHenry working with democrats thing didn't work um i think they've got to get probably an outsider who's not been in leadership and not someone as radioactive as jim jordan and who is well liked do you think that person can get 217 i'm not so sure is there a name well i'll tell you this let the democrats go on holiday then we can slim down quorum and it won't be so hard to actually get anyone no there's no name and, and this is a real problem for us okay you make a good point because democrats like laura are going to run out there and basically say chaos 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 and if this well it's can, not democrats i mean i think any fair-minded person could sit no, there and, and watch this and say I, I don't i don't think so yet because we haven't stopped israeli funding he's got the war powers act he's got 30 days but if it does come to this situation and government funding comes up we're going to be in a real problem because that's going to hurt us in 2024 and right now the headwinds are favoring us in 2024. Laura? Hope springs eternal for Ford, but I think that what we see here, I'm not going to say chaos because I don't need to. The fact is that Republicans are showing that they can't govern, and right now they can't govern in a time of war. Electing a speaker is the equivalent of a cakewalk. The reason we haven't seen any funding, much less border security funding, if you're talking about Republican top-of-the-list priorities or Democratic top-of-the-list priorities, you're, you're nothing is getting through this House because there's a lack of governance. There was a lack of governance under Kevin McCarthy, and now there's a lack of governance with the absence of a speaker or even a temporary speaker. So this here, this writes itself. When you have an election, you are comparing alternatives. And this sets up the Democrats perfectly. If I was a Republican strategist, I would be clutching my pearls, grabbing my red and blue tie and keeping myself up at night, worried about the dysfunction in my own caucus that really is not rooted just in personalities, as Kevin McCarthy was saying. It's deeply rooted in a faction that just does not want to govern and wants to throw hand grenades at government and another faction that actually wants to see things through. They lack a cohesive ideology a cohesive set of priorities, and that's why you've seen nothing advance, including coalescing around a single person to lead them. Chris? Uh, we're going to have an election, a little more than two weeks, we're going to have an election just across the Potomac River in Virginia, uh, where there happen to be a lot of federal workers who reside. Uh, we'll, we're going to get a real... I like polls. I'm, I'm into it. Uh, but elections really are, are what tell us the tale. So we'll be looking at Virginia. We'll see how Virginia votes and if there is a consequence for Republicans here. We have an evenly divided country. Maybe nothing matters, LOL, and you don't have to be good at your job or do anything. Shoulder shrug emoji. But the way the Republican Party is conducting itself these days, they hate each other more than they hate Democrats. They may even hate each other more than they hate us in the media, uh, which would be I saying something. That yeah, okay. yeah, I know. That would, not true. That would, that would be right. saying Fighting has to stop uh, yes. on the Republican side. We're not at war, by the way. Well, you mentioned Virginia. Uh, joining us now, the Virginia Republican Congressman Bob Good. He voted for Jim Jordan uh, all three times, I believe, and was one of the eight Republican congressmen who supported the ouster of Kevin McCarthy. Congressman, thank you for being back here on the Hill. It feels like we have you about once a week now uh, with everything that's going on. Um, as, as we sit back Great to be with and we try to figure out what's going on, why should we 
or anyone at this point believe that Republicans can rally around a single person? Well, it certainly is a tall order, but for all of those who are fretting and wringing their hands and saying, oh, this is chaos, this is embarrassment, this is a clown show, I would say, what is it that you're concerned about that Congress isn't continuing to do that it's been doing the past nine or ten months for the American people? Congress has been failing miserably, the American people, failing miserably Republican voters who gave us the majority. If you think about what we have done so far, we have passed messaging bills under the former Speaker that died in the Senate, had no chance in the Senate or the White House. We had two opportunities to try to effectuate change for the American people, the debt ceiling and the funding of the government. And in both cases, we passed Democrat bills with overwhelming Democrat support, the same things Democrats would have done if they had the majority. And for which we did not need a Republican speaker or so Republican majority. So should we be in a hurry? Should we be in a hurry to get back to pretending that we're doing things for the American people and we're failing them? We've got a continuing resolution that was unconditional, keeping all the Biden, Pelosi, Schumer spending in place until November 17. And we weren't going to pass any of our spending bills. We didn't do that. We passed so, four of them and the three of them in the final week of, of September. And so what are we in a hurry to get back to to keep the status quo? Well, you're going, to need a, you're going to need a speaker there because there's, you know, this $106 billion aid package. And maybe you're for it, maybe you're against. I don't know. But at some point, that's going to be debated and that's going to need to be taken up. I, I, you know, you said it was a tall order to rally around someone. It, a, a tall order. I didn't hear you say yes, Congressman. Do you think at the end of the day, Republicans are going to be able to identify someone? Well, we'll we will because we will have to. We certainly should have done it with Jim Jordan. You had 200 uh, members supporting Jim Jordan. I don't think there's anyone else who could have gotten to 200 as quickly and as easily as he did. Unfortunately, you had a couple of dozen who were against him, I think, out of spite in some cases, or their anger at the aid, or Matt Gates, my friend, who filed the motion to vacate. Some of those are appropriators who want to, guess what, appropriate and spend more money, increase spending like the Democrats. You had some who are blindly loyal to the military-industrial complex and want to increase defense spending with no accountability, no transparency, no, no uh, uh, holding them accountable for their uh, nearly a trillion dollars of, of taxpayer resources. And so you had them kind of come together. The swamp struck back. They defeated the grassroots candidate. We had the first national speaker election we have had in modern times, where we didn't have a coronation of the next person in line, the, the establishment status quo, the donor class elites, a special but interest choice. But the Constitution also says you have to do this, the, and you can't On, on the grassroots it, so. conservative. Say that again? I, I said the Constitution says you have to do this, and you haven't been able to do this. So I hear you, and I get your point, sir. But I, I think the questions of, of how does this end are real, are they not? Well, we, we, it will have to end. We will have to elect a speaker, and we will have to coalesce around someone that represents the conservative center of the conference. I think it'll be somebody from the grassroots. I don't think it's going to be an establishment, someone who's part of the current swamp system, quite frankly, who's been part of okay. what has failed the American people and failed the, the Republican conference. But we'll see who that'll be. We're going to have a candidate for him on Monday. I regret that we're starting over. We should have elected Jim Jordan, but we'll see okay. who, who can get to that, to that 217 that we need. Congressman, I got to leave it there. The I'm answer sure we'll was to let week. Jim Jordan. No, I, and, I, and I know that's your position. Thank uh, you. Congressman, we'll catch you next week, I'm sure. Have a good one. Um, Something go for it. really interesting that he said there. You know who was next in line? He said, we didn't take the next guy who was in line. We didn't take... 
Jim Jordan was the next guy in line. Once Steve Scalise went down, Jim Jordan was the next guy in line. Kevin McCarthy was whipping for Jim Jordan. Yeah. Uh, the establishment has, we have met the establishment and it is us. And the story here, when you get right down to it, is insurgents captured the establishment. And then when they had it, they said, okay, now you losers, you're going to suck it up and you're going to vote for us like you used to tell us to do. And then the mainstream Republicans did something we never see them do. The revenge of the they rhinos, said, right? Oh, is that what we're doing now? <laughs> right. Are we are we yeah. are we are we going along to get along now? I don't remember that that's how you were for the past 15 years when the Freedom Caucus was lighting everything on fire. So that's a very interesting they they captured the establishment and Kevin in the person of Kevin McCarthy, but still uh, they can't get it done. It's really interesting. You said something on this show a couple of weeks ago that stuck with me, which was John Fetterman. Yeah. We were talking about the dress code. Oh. And, and you said, once you're there, you are the establishment. Yes. Exactly. You know what I mean? And exactly. to, to, to bring out your point and to bring it, I guess, full circle to something. Even if you're in short pants. Totally irrelevant. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Joe Kay up in the Capitol hallways for us as he's been and, and will be. Joe, quite the assignment. Um, there was a, a closed door meeting. What happened? What can you what can you tell us as you know, we head into the weekend here? So I can tell you, no punches thrown today, uh, nothing like <laughs> what we saw yesterday. Uh, but, you know, honestly, we were there as people were coming out. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of angry feeling. I think you just heard it from Congressman Good a little bit. There was some yeah. frustration in his voice, to be sure. Uh, I mean, as, you know, members were coming out, honestly, there was some relief. Uh, it was no secret. There were a lot of more moderate, more establishment-type Republicans who were going to swallow a bitter pill if they had to ultimately support a Speaker Jim Jordan. Many of them did not want to do that. And then you had the other group who really did uh, want to see uh, Jim Jordan elevated to Speaker. And um, we talk about the frustration. I think we can illustrate it right here. I talked to Chip Roy just a little while after that vote. Uh, here's just a bit of what he told us. The Republican conference just rejected the most popular Republican in the country and are getting on an airplane so they can do their at home. And it's ridiculous. So I think that yeah. speaks for itself there. Uh, yeah. I mean, there is frustration at, at how this happened, but also the fact that they are going home and we're going to have another uh, speaker candidate forum on Monday. A lot of them, frankly, are just okay. rolling their eyes saying, you know, here we go again. Um, when you said no punches thrown, and I, I started laughing, I was laughing because Chris almost spit out. Chris no, almost, almost spit out his got water. Me out of spit take. I was <laughs> yeah. like Uncle Tanoo. Chris was the, drinking yeah, his water. You said no punches here. thrown, yes. and I thought the, the water was going to go across the table. Uh, Joe, have a good weekend. We'll catch you back here I mean, on Monday. We, we got to right. clarify. Yeah, yeah, yeah we do have right. to clarify. Right. All right, coming up, uh, a possible primary threat maybe to President Biden. Another Democrat now calling him out on his age and the need to find an alternative. So could Dean Phillips, a relatively unknown congressman, pose an actual challenge to the commander-in-chief? Steyerwald breaks it down. And what do you think about the idea of Lunchables being served up in school cafeterias? It's now allowed. How's that the case? We're back in a few when The Hill on News Nation returns. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. News Nation. All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. Congressman Dean Phillips reportedly sending out signals that he might challenge President Biden for the Democratic nomination for president next year. But the Minnesota Democrat, as you might imagine, would have an uphill climb. Digging into it uh, with us is uh, Chris Steyerwalt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Steyerwalt. That would be you. Break it down. I'll break it down for you. Yeah. Uh, do you know who Dean Phillips is? I, I learned about him like a month ago. Yes, you are. Then, then that puts you way ahead of most people in the Democratic <laughs> yeah. Party who have never heard of Dean Phillips, who is a congressman from uh, a, a modestly competitive Democratic-leaning district uh, in Minnesota. Uh, he is the heir to uh, off-brand liquor distilling uh, fortune. Sounds fun. Uh, and he was, for a period of time, the CEO of a gelato uh, company. Sounds fun. So if you want a boozy uh, dessert, <laughs> uh, this is this is the, the guy to talk to. Now, he is, as his district would reflect, a centrist okay. Democrat. That's, that's his pitch. So he is going to announce, and it's been reported everywhere. I know it's been reported in The Hill. It's been reported in all of your best news outlets that he is about to announce his candidacy for president. Now, why would a person no one's ever heard of from Minnesota run for president on the Democratic ticket? And I'm going to I want to ask for these slides out of order. Please forgive me. <laughs> and I'll show you right here uh, the New York Times Siena poll that says, should the Democratic Party renominate Joe Biden? And it's 53 percent say low. yes. Seems low. Seems low for an incumbent. You'd like that to be a lot higher. <laughs> Means there's a lot of doubt. We know that Biden's approval numbers are relatively low. Okay. <laughs> Also, Joe Biden, I don't know whether you know this, might not be that young. Right. He might be something of an older American. And there's a lot of talk about potentially replacing him. So if you're Dean Phillips, you figure you get in the race, you start hanging around, and maybe you see what happens. But but what about the calendar? Oh, that let, let's look at the calendar, as a matter of fact. If only we had a graphic. Oh, there it is. Okay, fantastic. So Dean Phillips, you see there in yellow... That's coming up right now. He's got to make these filing deadlines to get in the race. And we've talked about this before. New Hampshire is not, is, is a contested entity inside the Democratic Party. Joe Biden doesn't want to go to New Hampshire. He doesn't want to participate in New Hampshire at all. He wants to, he wants the process to start in the South uh, and in Michigan and states where he did better. So what Phillips is trying to do here, it looks like to me, is he, with RFK Jr. out of the race on the Democratic side, mm -hmm. there's going to be nobody on the ballot in New Hampshire. So he can go up there. Could he get some votes? Mm -hmm. Could he get some share? Could he go all in on New Hampshire? And if something were to happen to disrupt the Democratic nominating process, he would be a candidate, right? Mm -hmm. He might be a person who had a delegate, might have two delegates. And if you get to some crazy contested convention, then maybe that's a thing of some value. I think this is not just a quixotic. I don't think this is just a vanity project. It may be a vanity project. Okay. But, uh, but I think it's more than that because if you are an ambitious Democrat, you see that no one is willing to take on Joe Biden. They're leaving all of this on the table. Why not get in? Why not mix it up and see if you can do anything about it? And with RFK Jr. out of the Democratic Party, maybe you get lucky. And he has to get in now. Oh, it's got to happen right now. Right, okay. And he's not going to win outright, but, uh, you know, you pay your nickel and you take your chance. Starwalt breaks it down. There you go. There you go. All right, coming up. 
We take you back to South Carolina. I spent the night there yesterday. You might remember we did the show from there. Uh, I fired off some questions after the show to the Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. We need a president that can serve two terms. A lame duck president is not going to be able to get the job done. All right, so what did he say when I asked him this? Should your opponents drop out of the race in a few weeks? He actually gave a detailed and he even admitted a pretty candid answer. We'll show it to you on the other side when The Hill on News Nation returns. All right, welcome back to The Hill. So last night, uh, I moderated a forum in South Carolina, of course, one of the key early voting states in the Republican primary. The candidates included the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis. Now, in recent weeks, he has turned his attention on a new rival, Nikki Haley, who's rising in the polls. I asked the Florida governor if he takes any exception to Haley's positions on abortion. Watch. Well, look, I mean... Of course, you're not going to jail. No pro-lifer has ever argued for that. So when she's saying that, she's indulging media narratives. That's a narrative. That's not how it is. We have a heartbeat bill in Florida. It has nothing to do with, with, with putting a woman. It's ridiculous that that would even be mentioned. So I think she's playing in to some of the stereotypes that the left uses against conservatives. Don't accept the media narrative. Fight back against the media narrative. Now, the governor also went as far as he has to date on all of his uh, opponents' campaigns. I asked if Republicans who don't make the third debate stage in about a few weeks' time should drop out of the race. I've been very weary of saying what anyone else should do, but I think clearly if you're not even able to meet that criteria to even get into a debate, then that's a problem. I mean, what's your path to victory at that point to be able to do? So uh, here's just the honest-to-God truth. You know, there's two people with a pathway to victory. You know, you have the former president, who obviously is the best known and and has got a lot of legacy support. Um, And then you got me. I'm the only guy that can appeal to enough voters to be able to actually get it done uh, ultimately. And, you know, we're we're showing that as we work through Iowa. You're going to start to see that, I think, more and more as we get to the end of the year and people start to dig in. But that's just that's just the reality. All right, joining us now, News Nation contributor, former Obama White House official, Johanna Mosca. Johanna, hello, happy Friday. Uh, Laura, I want you to come on back in too to get to get your thoughts on this. Uh, but let's start with Johanna. What what'd you make of of the seemingly back and forth there with um, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley there in South Carolina with the Florida governor responding to her positions on abortion? Johanna? Well, and it was interesting, of course, Blake, because you have an audience of women. Um, look, yeah. it, the re- trouble for Republicans is it's like the dog who caught the car. They didn't expect to be in this situation. So there are actually Republicans who are saying that they should jail women. And so when DeSantis says that is, doesn't exist, that, what do you do when someone has broken the law and your law is a six-week ban? That is going to be a real consideration. Nikki Haley, and I also thought it was interesting that you, you asked the question and he said there's only two viable candidates. Nikki Haley, hmm. I would argue, would be the best contender for a general election for two reasons. One, because she's speaking about that abortion issue in a way that does not demonize women. And two, because she can appeal to that suburban woman who is 
not okay with Trump and frankly not okay with taking books out of libraries either. So DeSantis has a challenge there and I, I thought, you know, you, you asked the right questions. I'm sorry I couldn't be there in person with you guys because I would make fun of Ford's you know, shoes and everything and every oh, break, gosh. but I'm really glad I get to join you for this. Bring Ford in. There we go. <laughs> Well, here's the problem. There's only one candidate actually in this race who's going to win the Republican nomination. That's Donald Trump. And the reason is very simple, because there is no appetite for dethroning Trump in terms of the GOP primary electorate. And when it comes to abortion, the bottom line is no matter what Republicans say, the Democrats only have two plays to the 2024 election. The first one is Republicans are a threat to democracy. And the next one is abortion, abortion, abortion. And guess who's caught on to how to message this a little bit better? And the answer is Donald Trump. Why? Look at the polls, just nationally. He's only nine points behind Biden on abortion. There's only two issues Joe Biden's leading on. That's climate change and abortion. And Donald Trump is going to figure out how to win over independence on that message. Laura? Well, I mean, it's clear that Biden has to consolidate his base. So his weakness right now is with Democrats, which is a much easier thing to do than to try to squeeze out people in the middle. So I feel like Biden has got a lot of room to improve and is going to be able to do that. When you look at Ron DeSantis, he does look rather weak because in the words of the Las Vegas Raiders, and I am in Las Vegas right now, uh, just win, baby. That's how you beat the candidates like Nikki Haley. That is how you win. And here he was. He was lionized by conservatives conservative media. He was given every opportunity. And by just about every measure, he has been a charmless disappointment to the Republican base. So now this is sort of his last ditch effort. You know, maybe the other candidates can quit so I can win. So this is sort of a kind of sad last throw by the former uh, favorite darling of the right. Ron DeSantis is in the position he's in. Not because Ron DeSantis wasn't a good candidate. It's because of the fact that Donald Trump effectively defined him for the Republican primary electorate. And if Donald Trump turns around and does the same thing to Nikki Haley in the very near future, guess what's going to happen to her poll numbers? And if you take everybody in the field, this idea there's an appetite for another Republican other than Donald Trump is absolutely insane. Because if you take all the other candidates, put them together, they are still 20 points short of Donald Trump in the primary right. polls. Well, even if DeSantis is able to topple Nikki Haley and, and all of the other opponents... There still would be one last hill to climb. Of course, it's, it's taking down Donald Trump. Now, DeSantis is, is starting to escalate his attacks against the former president. Look at what he said uh, with me last night. You know, I went to Trump's rallies in 16. I was excited about build the wall, have Mexico pay for it. Didn't deliver. Drain the swamp. Didn't deliver. You're running on the same stuff. You didn't do it the first time. You'd be a lame duck if you could even get elected and all that. Why not have give somebody a chance who is going to spit nails from day one? Spit nails from day one. When he said that, my head turned a little bit. Uh, well, I, I like the looser Ronnie D. I will say that. <laughs> like, he's leaning back. He was comfortable. Yeah, he, he, he's, yeah. he's uh, you know, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. <laughs> uh, and Laura, Laura's, descri I never want to get on Laura's bad side. Charmless disappointment <laughs> is, mwah, that is just, that. that's tough. Uh, and, and, and pretty accurate so far for how DeSantis has been. Here's the deal. It doesn't matter whether Doug Burgum drops out. No offense, Governor Who Burgum. gets the point It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't matter whether Mike Pence drops out. Sorry, Mr. Vice Who gets President. gets the one person. It doesn't matter. But the consolidation in the Republican field will take place over the course of the coming debates. That will happen over there, and there will be some net effect. Um, what it basically comes down to at this point is Ron DeSantis does not need to attack Donald Trump to try to persuade Donald Trump's voters. Right. What he has to do is show that he's willing to fight Donald Trump's 
uh, fight Donald Trump to persuade the 25 percent of the Republican electorate that doesn't want Donald Trump. So he has to prove his bona fides with them in order to get their support. So that's where that's where he's stuck. Listen, I, I think Trump is going to be very difficult to beat. But at the same time, we all know that politics is about expectations. What are the expectations for Donald Trump in Iowa, in New Hampshire and in all states to win by 30 40 or 50. Yeah. The media wants a narrative. Somebody's going to make a run. I think it's going to be Nikki Haley, not DeSantis. Right. Um, and it's going to tighten. Johanna, uh, you're, you're joining us from, uh, from L.A. Last word. Well, I would, I would agree with this. The point Bob just made on Nikki Haley is a very um, on-the-ground, grassroots organizer. And I was part of a campaign with Obama where you didn't necessarily see the effects in the polls until it yep. really mattered. And so I do think there's an absolute chance that Nikki Haley is doing the not, work Not, not going to happen. Ground. She might become the Trump alternative, but she'll be trailing by 30 or 40 points. Here's the problem, Ford, and I the keep saying this over Ford. and over. The Re- I'm a Republican. The Republican primary does not looking for a Trump alternative. They want Donald Trump. And if Nikki Haley does rise above Ron DeSantis, it's only Ron DeSantis' fault because he tried to go to the right of Donald Trump, who's seen as the gold standard on everything from immigration to abortion in the Republican Party. Well, we'll see you, Ford, in the general election then, because there are a lot of women who were very turned off by the way that Donald Trump left office. The Democrats and everything are Everything aside, they'll look for a different candidate. All right. Johanna, thank you. Uh, Good to see you. Have a great weekend. We'll catch you next week. Yep, of course. All right, coming up. When kids show up to the school cafeteria on Monday, should Lunchables be on their trays? The government has made this possible. And we'll talk about that and what happens next coming up right after the break. Prepackaged lunch meals? Well, they're set to hit school cafeterias for millions, potentially, of American kids. Here's the Washington Post, for example. They say, quote, for the first time, Lunchables are eligible to be served to nearly 30 million school children under the rules of the National School Lunch Program after the company altered two of its products to qualify. Now, the two varieties of Lunchables that qualify, the turkey and cheddar cracker stackers, of course, iconic, And the extra cheesy pizza. I was looking into this. The Agriculture Department runs this. This is a $14 billion, the school lunch business industry. And Lunchables has been able to work its way into it. Well, kids like Lunchables. Uh, uh, Yeah. Who doesn't? I I hate to be this guy, but if you can get them to eat it and they want to eat it. I mean, uh, when you have shimmery turkey and ham that uh, (laughs) has the the opalescent, (laughs) iridescent reflection uh, in it, and and they would not eat those things if you put them on a plate, but somehow if you put them in a little box and put a yellow thing around it, they will eat it. My sons sons would do it. If you can get them to eat a few slices of turkey and some cheese that way, I guess it's Laura, are you good with this? Well, I have to point to my home state of California where you can get delicious, nutritious food. You just have to prioritize it. So clearly, big ag, big, uh, big, big business is wanting to get those processed foods in front of the kids, get them addicted. But local school districts and state governments and the federal government all could do something about that if they so chose. But, you know, we can't even get a speaker elected. So uh, I don't think the beauty of being a Republican is this little thing. It's this little thing called choice. I just love Lunchables in schools. It's really that simple. Well, I just want to say Michelle Obama because I would love to have her here weighing in. She did a lot for nutrition and kids. You bring up the Michelle Obama. That was her whole thing 
as the first lady, right? Like healthy school lunches and and it wasn't popular. Yeah, it wasn't. It was <laughs> definitely not popular. It's terrible. Look, come on. We had worse food in the seventies and eighties. Now that I'm dating myself, okay? <laughs> I didn't blow up to be four hundred pounds. You're gonna have to show a little bit of discipline, okay? It's really that simple. And when you've got screaming kids, Blake, you know this. You're just gonna feed them to shut them up. It's really that simple. Wow. So if Lunchables make them happy, keep them happy. Things are rough. It's the the, the, no, the Berman House. I don't know. Berman House is good. I'm you're just slinging, you're slinging it's, wet turkey at your kids to shut them up. I didn't know it was it's so not bad. The lunch over there. It's not the Lunchables. I just put the college football on in front of them in the weekend and say, let's go. I let's agree with that, too. Right. Soothe them. This is Tonight, the brilliant uh, conversation I've heard in a long time. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's bring in Elizabeth Vargas. Uh, tonight, of course, the big story, not only here in Washington, but but really throughout the Middle, Middle East, and I guess you could say Elizabeth worldwide. Yeah. Uh, the two American hostages that have been released by Hamas. We learned about this just a few hours ago. Um, Elizabeth, I hear you're going to be speaking with someone very close to that family. Yeah, we'll be speaking actually with uh, Natalie's brother. Uh, uh, he will join us. He was on our show actually just last night talking huh. about his mother and sister. Uh, and we'll have him on the show tonight to react to this uh, stunning news uh, that Natalie and her mother were escorted um, by Hamas to the Red Cross, which then escorted them to the border of Gaza. And they were handed over to Israeli officials. Judith and Natalie are now being treated by doctors in Israel. Um, obviously, the family here in Chicago uh, is waiting to hear word on how they are medically. Um, and obviously, uh, Blake, there's a lot of speculation yeah. as to what, uh, what Hamas's um, strategy is behind this release. Yeah. Why now? Why them? Uh, we're going to get into all of that as well. We're also going to talk with the commander of the USS Cole, who was commanding it when it was attacked uh, back near Yemen, um, you know, back in 2012, a huge attack that plunged uh, much of the Middle East into a lot of unrest. Going to get his take as well. Former Defense Secretary William Cohen will be here to talk as well about what's yep. going on in the Middle East. So, all and that. as we heard from the, yeah, and as we heard from the Secretary of State, um, ten Americans still unaccounted for, and, oh, yeah. and we don't know how many of those are still hostages. Um, right. Elizabeth, right. looking forward to your show tonight. Uh, seven and six and a half minutes from now, Elizabeth. Thank you. And remember, you can catch Elizabeth Vargas reports 6 o'clock Eastern right here on News Nation. But before then, he's the world's richest person. So how did Elon Musk lose 16 billion bucks in a day? We'll explain. Donors are pulling money from colleges. Plus, partisan cable media's rush to judgment in the Gaza hospital bombing and President Biden's response to the ongoing conflict. An all-star panel with Spicer, Rivera, and Gold tonight on Dan Abrams Live. All right, so before we say goodbye, here's a couple stories that caught our eye. 220 years ago today, the treaty for the Louisiana Purchase was ratified. The $15 million deal in 1803 would now be worth $408 million by today's standards. Speaking of money, by the way, Elon Musk, according to Fortune magazine, the world's wealthiest man, lost $16 billion bucks in a day. This, of course, after Tesla's shares dropped by almost 10% due to weak third quarter earnings. He, though, is still worth some $209 
billion dollars. Louisiana Purchase, that was a... Uh, I think it's the beard that costs. <laughs> you, if you have a patchy beard, if you're the richest man in the world, you can't have a patchy beard like that. You have to have like a robust Is Louisiana the- Purchase era beard, like a big <laughs> and robust beard. Now you know who's going to be eating the Lunchables until he can eat Surf and Turf again. It's That's right. Elon Musk, yeah, which is the same price as the program. Times are tough. $16 billion. Thank you, guys. Thank you to Laura again. Um, and we'll see you back.